This episode of Wokefield was recorded remotely the week of Christmas 2020 while we were all in self-isolation. We apologize that the audio quality isn't up to our usual standards. And while we all still love this episode and think Kelsey Huff is an absolute badass, please wash your hands and stay the fuck home so we don't have to do it again. Okay, thanks. Molly's eyes were huge as she watched Buzz. Regina, you don't know what you're missing, she said in a dazed voice. Coke is absolutely fantastic. You take one snort, all of a sudden nothing matters. You forget about school, about your family, about... She glanced quickly at Justin and then away again. All your problems. You just feel terrific. Regina blinked. But can't it hurt you? Don't you get hooked on it? Buzz laughed. Is that what they're teaching now? That you can get addicted to Coke? Listen, he added. If you've got the money, this stuff is a passport to heaven. It won't hurt you. It won't make you fat. It won't get you hooked. All it'll do is make you happy. Forget it, Jan said with disgust. Don't waste any of it on her. She's only good for one thing, and that's stealing boyfriends. Whose idea was Are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I can't wait till Jessica and Elizabeth murder each other. <laughs> Wolfields! Uh-oh, she didn't think the acid would kick in while she was driving on the 405. It's Elizabeth Gomez. The one time she did ecstasy, she puked all over her Abercrombie and Fitch sweater. It's Adrian Gunn. That's a true story. And this is Wokefield, where two middle-aged comedians realize all their problems started with Sweet Valley High. Each week, we read a Sweet Valley High novel and talk about how the most beautiful twins in the land, Jessica and Elizabeth, completely fucked up our ideas of being a woman in America. Today, we are talking about the 28th book in the series and the most impactful book in my entire life. I'm so excited. On the Edge, where Sweet Valley High's only character with a disability obviously dies. But don't worry, her corpse is still gorgeous. Hot garbage. All right, then we'll welcome comedian, actor, writer, and teacher Kelsey Huff to discuss these books because her words were specifically hot garbage. <laughs> and then we'll also talk about what we put up our noses in high school. Obviously, I didn't put anything up my nose. But anyway, we'll wrap up the show with a quick round of Anti-Drug Jeopardy, the trivia game that will bring back all of your memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons while your parents left you all alone so they could get drunk on Bloody Marys. <laughs> Parents were the worst back then. Oh, you know my mom was drunk, girl. <laughs> Adrian, this book was pretty straightforward. Um, I want to say that this particular ghostwriter, I did look up her name, Miss Kate Williams. Thank you very much for this treasure. <laughs> this really made me laugh that you looked her name because the name of every single ghostwriter is Kate Williams. What? Is it really? <laughs> I've never taken a look. So this time I, I was like, oh, well, let's figure this out. I would say that she was so great 
in terms of like not writing a B plot because she was like, you know what, people? Yes. Drugs are serious. Yes. Look, this was a top notch ghostwriter. I mean, you know, we have seen some bad ghostwriters, but this was definitely one of the ones that had their shit together. She was like, is there a theme? I've got the theme. The theme is don't do drugs, children. Also be beautiful. Yes. Well, she opens the book with Jessica looking in the mirror. It is Every real. time. Is Every this time. In the outline, do you think? I think in this like created world of Sweet Valley High, Jessica always has to look in a mirror every episode. It is fascinating that it's always the way the book opens. And so, you know, the way these books were constructed is Francine Pascal supposedly wrote outlines for each book and then they were sent to all the various ghostwriters. And so they're writing the books like at the same time. But, you know, so all the plots are sort of intertwined. And I'm like, is Francine Pascal writing book opens Jessica in the mirror? Well, I'm also curious when you're talking about how the ghostwriters were all the same name, then why name any of the ghostwriters at all? Because they just, that's the point. It's like, it's just Kate Williams is the ghostwriter. And then there's like fucking 70 people. You know what? Honor- so they're like Francine Pascal, Francine Pascal and Kate Williams. Yes, who is also a fake person. But listen, on our Instagram, I'm going to link an article. I think it was from like Vanity Fair, the New Yorker, that where there is um, one of the ghostwriters like reveals all the secrets of being a sweet oh, Valley High ghostwriter. I haven't ghost even writer. read that. I can't yeah. believe you didn't send that to me. Yeah, I'm going to put it on our Instagram. I'll do it tonight and then everyone can- I'm super excited. I'm super yeah. excited. So we are now introduced to Amy Sutton, who is a new uh, character in the Sweet Valley High universe, but I guess maybe in the previous book she was actually introduced. Yeah. So Amy Sutton is Elizabeth's childhood friend yes. who was sent away for a while because her mom got a new job, and then she's coming back to Sweet Valley High because now her mom's got another job. Yes. And Elizabeth was super excited. She was like, we're going to be best friends again. And it turns out that Amy is the self-absorbed, boy-crazy teenage girl. Yes, she's a whore. And so obviously her best friend is Jessica. Obviously. obviously. (laughs) Also, before this book, we met Regina Mara when Elizabeth was kidnapped. Right. She is deaf. This is our only disabled character. But since we have last seen her, some major things have happened in Regina's life. Yes. So Regina is deaf, and she has now hooked up with Bruce Patman, who we all know is a playboy. You don't trust that motherfucker. But her disability touched his heart. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I assume so. I didn't read that book. And I don't really care to read that book. (laughs) But I will say (laughs) that they fell in love. They kept a good relationship. Then somehow Regina Mara was going to be cured of deafness. Yes. Is that that politically correct to say? Well, listen, what happened was in this book in 1983, Regina Mara went to Switzerland for an undisclosed, mysterious um, treatment and then she was cured of her deafness. She, she was cured of her deafness. I yeah. feel like that's not a right way to I'm put sure that. it's not. So right now, my sister-in-law is an audiologist. And so what would happen is you would get a cochlear implant and then you could hear again. But clearly, Kate Williams did not give a fuck about the details. Well, <laughs> not only that, but when Regina goes to get her ear fixed, it... <laughs> She basically ends up being kidnapped. No, it's is it the same she, yes. thing? She gets kidnapped in Switzerland, and then I think that's it's how in Switzerland. I think it happens in Switzerland. And then she ends up coming back because they're like, we've got your daughter. She can hear now. We give us some money. <laughs> no, this is that. I don't think that's exactly you don't right. Think so? No, Regina's dad has a lot of money. And um, one of his coworkers kidnapped her and held her for ransom. But like, there, you was, remember this there was an airport involved. 
So it, maybe it was involved with the Switzerland thing. The whole point is the last time we saw Regina, she was deaf. Since then, she hooked up with Bruce Patman, got her hearing back, and then she also was kidnapped. So she does seem to have some, you know, baggage she's carrying I mean, around. Who doesn't love a person with baggage? Right. Uh, Amy, Amy Sutton and Bruce Patman have now gotten together because they have to write a report about our favorite topic, drugs. I mean, this was unreal. I was like, they are going to hammer this fucking drug shit they home. Top to like, bottom. Top it to is the so bottom. stupid. They're like interviewing people in college. Amy's cousin who is in college to talk about the drug problem in Sweet Valley. I yes, mean, because Amy's cousin is also like a, a volunteer a, social worker. Right. But also, <laughs> wasn't she also like a former addict? Possibly. I, feel I like don't she was, think so. Regardless. She really had, she has the pulse on the drug problem in Sweet Valley. So Amy is like, Bruce, I've got this whole drug report situation. Now, let me put my hand on your lap because I think you got the hots for me. And Bruce is like, oh shit, I do. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, it does not take that much to turn Bruce's eye. So then the Whitefield but everyone, twins. But they are surprised because Regina and Bruce have an unusual relationship yes, for Bruce. Yes. Well, because she was disabled. So anyway. because this book, if anything, Sweet Valley High has taught us is that codependency is magic. Yes, exactly. So anyway, the Wakefield twins need something to do. So they're going to host a barbecue. So they're going to host this barbecue. And at this barbecue, both Bruce and Regina are going to come together in his Porsche. One, Bruce, one. You know who else is coming? Amy, Amy Sutton. Sutton. Amy shows up and then she's like, yo, Bruce, let me help you flip some burgers. And yes, he's like, bitch. flip those burgers behind this tree with they me. They get behind a tree. Jeffrey French, Elizabeth's boyfriend. And Elizabeth are like, oh no, look at this happening. They're making out behind a tree. And then Elizabeth like sort of tries to like misdirect yeah Regina's attention because she doesn't want to hurt her feelings but instead of intervening very early and being like Regina Amy Sutton stealing your boyfriend Elizabeth like takes this higher ground and is like I should not get involved but then well, she no she's involved. tormented as she's yeah. always tormented always. don't get involved which is always a slippery slope we'll talk about that soon but She's like, I know the secret. Everyone knows the secret. The only person who doesn't know is Regina. So I'm going to distract her, Jeffrey, while you tell those guys to, to like boot off. It does not that work. It does not work because no. these schemes never work. So then Regina sees the boy, Bruce, and his girl. And he's, she's like, oh, no, everyone knows I'm humiliated. Now, fast forward because we got to get through this quickly. Is that, and there's so much to tell. Do not then, rush Regina. <laughs> then Regina's at school. She has nothing to do with Bruce Patman. She's like, nothing. I don't want anything at We're all. Done. I don't want his phone calls. We're I don't want his letters. I don't want to look at his face. And she's at lunch and a guy named Justin walks up to her and is like, Regina, would you like to sit with me? Listen, this is what happens. She gets dumped by her rich, handsome boyfriend publicly. So then what happens? What happens to every girl when you get dumped by your rich, handsome boyfriend publicly? You find a court-snorting bad boy. You fall in with a bad crowd. Bad crowd. Then there's this sort of, the B plot is that Justin has an ex-girlfriend, Molly. She's a bit of a mess. She's on drugs. And his dad is dead. Yes. And his mom's a pill popper. Yes. And Regina does not understand this kind of life. But no, of she course, lives on the hill. She lives on the hill. She's rich. But because she is part of the Sweet Valley High universe, she has to be codependent and has decided that he's going to be her best friend. Yeah. So they become friends. And you know, a lot of this shit doesn't matter. The bottom line is, is that there is a party happening. And you know who's coming to that party? Buzz. Now, Buzz is a guy who is notorious for being a drug dealer. And the reason we find <laughs> this out 
It's because Amy, whose cousin is his volunteer social worker, says <laughs> to Amy and to Bruce Patman, ex-boyfriend of Regina, that she's very concerned that very. a guy named Buzz is going to show up to some random party with some random teenagers and try to sell them drugs. And the biggest mm -hmm. thing is she wants Bruce and Amy to know that everyone should be warned that Buzz is no good. Yes, there's like this whole weird thing about this drug dealer Buzz. As if, and then so everyone starts calling Regina, Elizabeth, Bruce, everyone's like, beware of Buzz. And Regina's like, fuck you, none of you care about me. She's like, you knew he was cheating the whole damn time. Well, you know, poor, actually, I felt some empathy for Regina in this book. I think she was one of, I think her journey was, we can get more into this, but I thought she was pretty well drawn like her motivation yeah, she went from me, death to death but we'll get there <laughs> true but her motivations to me along the way like were not insane well i mean the codependency we'll talk about that so she goes so, to the party she goes to the party she has a beer she has a beer and in the meantime nicholas her brother gets a call from elizabeth and elizabeth is like oh my god nicholas i've been telling regina she should go to this party because there's a drug dealer named buzz who's going to be there yes and nicholas is like oh my god i've got to get my keys and they love kind of, a male savior moment right. in these books. And in some kind of like weird slapstick comedy where he couldn't find his keys. He can't find his wallet. He can't find where he parked the car. He like drives off to go save his sister. And as he's going there, what happens? The police pull him over. And he's like, I swear to God, I'm just really worried about my sister. And they're like, we'll talk about it at the police station. So they go to the police station. They're talking about it. Meanwhile, fucking Regina is drinking beer. And then... She sits down around the Coke table. No, that's not what happens. What happens is she tells Justin, because Molly is like, Justin, let's go dance. And Justin's like, I can't dance with you. And Regina comes to this like very, very important moment where she kind of like is beginning to heal from the damage with Bruce, where she realizes that Amy is not really the reason Bruce left. It was like partly her fault because they were drifting apart. And that you should really- Yeah, I didn't buy any of it. Right. If you really love someone, you should just kind of like, power it out so she says to justin justin if you really love someone you should be helping them and so justin's like all right well i'll go dance with molly yeah that's his his ex-girlfriend that he really loves and regina i don't know all that beef so crazy was but then jan brown one uh justin's so dancing drunken whore slut drug addict jan brown yes when she's dancing with uh when molly's dancing with justin jan is like just beating the crap out of Regina. Yeah, she's like, Just you're a boyfriend her. stealer. You're not even cool. You're not even Why fun. are you here? Yeah, fuck you. So can they go to the Coke table now? Yes. They go to the Coke table. Buzz, he's got, and, and not only is it the Coke table, Buzz has a Coke mirror. Please remind me to tell you a story about how I tried to wipe up a bunch of cocaine at a party once. Did you? I was like, <laughs> did you use your tongue? Because that's no, how I do no, it. No, I mean, like, I thought there was a mess and I was cleaning it up. <laughs> anyway, anyway, they're at the Coke table. Buzz, he cuts the Coke on the mirror with a credit card. He rolls up 20. It's time to snort it. Who takes the first line? Regina. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm trying, I was like, let me imagine this Coke table. I was like, there's Regina, there's Molly, there's Buzz, there's Jan. I mean, frankly, I feel like Jan should have been the first person to take But she wasn't. Line. Regina was the first person. Well, because they, they completely peer pressure. A hundred percent peer pressure. They were like, this Coke is so good. It's so good. We love Coke. Anyway, she takes a line. She's like, I don't feel anything. Jan's like, take another, take another, take another. And Nicholas is rushing over to from the police station to this house. And he convinced the police that this drug dealer was 
was there. And so they, of course, called a police officer named O'Reilly because all police officers are Irish. The Irish are police officers, <laughs> even in fucking Sweet Valley. Anyway, she takes the second line. Next thing you know, her heart begins to race. She's not feeling so good. And fucking Justin picks her up and puts her on the, on the couch. She and he, yell, he yells for like a wet paper towel. Yes. Because, you mean, know, if someone's pace, passing out, you're always like, what paper towel? You know, these are high schoolers. They don't know what they're doing. So anyway, then they're having some stress. And she might be having a seizure. It's not totally well described, but she's kind of flopping around on the couch. Anyway, the door busts open, and it's Nicholas and the police. And then Regina has some parting words to yes. Nicholas. She's like, just tell them. It's tell Bruce. Not- it's not their fault. And not only Bruce, Elizabeth Wakefield. <laughs> so then she's dead, right? Yeah, so she's goes, gone. She's, she's dead. Like, Heart attack. Two lines of cocaine. R.I.P. Regina. Two lines of cocaine. Dead. They move on to the funeral, the wake at the high school. Of course, Elizabeth and Bruce somehow end up at the hospital. I don't even know. I mean, I don't even think my mom knew my best friend's number in high school. They'd be calling her to come to the hospital. I mean, look, the bottom line is everyone else is absolved of any guilt in this situation by Regina's parents and by the principal at the school. And the bottom line is do not do drugs. You can be killed. And then after your friend dies... You'll get a letter from her. Okay, so right before the party, um, Regina writes this like dramatic letter to Elizabeth, but you don't even know it's to Elizabeth when she writes it. You know, it's like a real dramatic narrative like device. Right, like Jessica's like, oh, you got a letter. Yeah, so she, so bitch dies from two lines of cocaine and the mail comes. <laughs> and it's a letter to Elizabeth from Regina. And in the letter, she's like, I hope that we can be friends forever. Yes, and Elizabeth is like, it's Why really poignant. I'm so sad. It's really poignant. It does remind me, though, that one of my to-do lists before I kick the bucket is to write letters to everyone that has ever fucked me and be like, you are the worst person ever. Now I'm dead. You can't make up for it. I mean, honestly, I do not think that that was the message of this book. I know, but that's but- <laughs> my message to all my haters. <laughs> I think we took different things away from it, but I'm really excited to talk to Kelsey and get what she took. Yes. Yeah. Hot Regina. Garbage. Regina. Dead. <laughs> Two lines of cocaine. <laughs> we are so excited to have Kelsey Huff. Not only is she a comedian, yes. but she's an actress, a storyteller, a writer, a teacher, a podcaster, a producer, and most importantly, She's the reason Adrian and I met. She's our personal hero, basically. I know. I mean, anyone who ever meets Kelsey is going to fucking love her. Everyone is so excited. Like, literally every girl, comic, storyteller person that we know is going to be thrilled that we have booked Kelsey Huff. I'm just... I I can't even handle it. So... (laughs) That intro, although nice, thank you so much, made me also, like, want to vomit in my mouth (laughs) with all the kindness (laughs) Which part? The part where you introduced us or where we were like, Kelsey is our personal hero? No, I like the matchmaking element. Listen, I look connecting. <laughs> I think it's amazing. But yeah, because, um, you know, I love, I love, thank you so much. And also gross. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you and we are thrilled that you are here. Absolutely. And Kelsey, when I emailed you this, and you know, we've been doing this, I think this is going to be what, our ninth episode, 10th episode. Nice. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it's been, been a really fun ride. And uh, when I emailed you this, I didn't know if you were familiar with the Sweet Valley High books, but I had said, you know, like, start to read this and whatever. And then I believe the very first email to me was, 
Elizabeth, this is hot garbage. <laughs> have you read these books? Or no. this was a shock? No, no, no. I have to tell you, um, uh, it, it did not come into my purview as a kid. I was very much a babysitter's club gal and then jumped right into adult reading and skipped this. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, uh, the book club, it was like scholastic books came into our small town and they'd be like, you can get these books and you can get this one for free. And I'm like, no, thanks. That's stupid. Anything with the cheerleader on it. I was very, I did not like any skirts, any like femme stuff. I was like, F these broads. I don't know why. I was just so, I did not like it. You decided so, that you were going to like, just knock off a portion of women. To be fair, I used to call this these the Sweet Valley Nazis, even when I saw it as a kid. I, I hated them. Uh, they reminded me of girls in church camp. I hated these Nazis with a passion. <laughs> so even reading this now. You know, for all the blonde girls out there, I just yeah. to say, we take a lot of hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's worth it. <laughs> But Kelsey, tell us your experience of reading this book. It was hard to read. I don't know why. I also think, you know, in the, this COVID realm, I've gone through a lot of personal discovery, you guys. Yes. <laughs> and I am like, if I don't, I am, so, I was so excited to talk to y'all. First of all, that's why I was in. But I'm like, I'm not wasting my time on things I don't enjoy. I want to talk to these gals, but I'm not going to sweat reading this book. I got to chapter seven. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and, then what happened? What 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 was happening when you threw it down? Why? What was the catalyst? The amount of uh, just description, and I get it. The description about beauty and like, oh, my life is so hard because I'm sort of deaf and went we didn't. Uh, you know, I'm like, I don't give a crap about your privileged little rich ass life. Like, I I think this happened as a kid too. I. And I'm not trying to make this classist, but I was like, my family worked in a farm in a factory. I don't give a crap about your Porsche piece. Like, I hated this book. <laughs> Do you feel like we need to tell Kelsey what happens in the end? So well, I'm assuming a lot it. of drugs. Yeah. Sure. Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. First, first, before we go on to recapping the book a little bit for you, is that we had Archie Jamjin, who I think you you know. You know Archie. And he was, and when I, you know, when he read the book, I was like, there's no way he's going to like these books. And when he read it, he was like, these are the best books to read when you're high. <laughs> he was like, they're basically <laughs> like picture books. <laughs> To be fair, I, I, I could see that, right? Yeah, I could see I that. that. Um, and, I, and I do, I agree with you. And like, the, how many times did you read the word huskily? Why Her so voice husky? Was huskily. <laughs> there was so much husky. I was like, is huskily even a word? Well, I usually think it's husky. But on that note, I will say, you know, I'm writing a novel right now. And um, every once in a while, I'll put in a little Easter egg that only I know about that's like for one of my friends. And I literally just put a bronzed leg in for Elizabeth. And I, I put it in a couple of times. I was like, she has this bronzed leg. <laughs> I also love that Adrian has confidence in me that I can read. Um, well, you've read these. Books. I did read these books. My book sure. is not that much better. But let's Okay, Kelsey, let me tell you what happens. So, okay, sounds so great. Regina, down and out. She got dumped. She's in with a bad crowd. She goes to a party. Have you met Justin yet? Yep, and Molly. Yeah. Okay, great. So she goes to Molly's party. She's down and out. She gets peer pressured. She does two lines of cocaine and immediately dies. <laughs> 
Listen, oh, it's right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah, she clearly did not work in the mortgage industry in the early 2000s. <laughs> That's all I have to say to that. Of course, you know, Deaf Regina also has like a very rare heart condition that could make you die from two lines of cocaine. So can I ask you a question? Or I know we're yeah, still yeah. doing the wrap up, but um, because this seemed like an instrumental book to your sort of, you know, coming of age. Yes. Her blondness. Yeah, your blondness. This really <laughs> rounded out your Nazism. Totally kidding, yes. by the way. Yes. <laughs> no. uh, was this like that moment where like, oh my God, someone died in these books. Was that really huge for you that that could happen? Kelsey, 100%. And I'm going to say this very confidently because I know girls, women across the internet Feel across the exact same way and have had the same experience like we've gotten feedback when we 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 announced this book was yes. like this series uh podcast yes. people were like are you going to do this book i did not touch drugs in college because i was like do you guys not know you can do one line of cocaine and immediately die like so <laughs> do you think this was part of the reagan sort of uh this, yes culture? yes Hundred percent. I took this book as fact as something that could happen to you, and if you did one line of coke, you could immediately die. And I went to like not a great school. I went to Northern Illinois University. It was like a party school, and like I was in a sorority. I was living my full Jessica Wakefield moment. I was not popular in high school, but I now I know as a forty-year-old woman that I read these books as straight-up goals. Like this is what you should want, and this is what you should do. And I was like aspirational. I'm to do it. I went to college suddenly, blonde, popular, into it, priority, and all these bitches were like doing ecstasy. They were doing cocaine. They obviously weed, but you know, the whole thing, I was scandalized. I was like, do you guys not know you can take one line of cocaine and immediately die? Thought it was I, two. Thought it was two lines. She did two. But I only came to the fact that it was two right now when I reread this book. Yeah, yesterday. she's always the whole time she's ever talked about it. I always thought it was line. one line of cocaine. But I will also say that during the, this time in, in history, you know, parallel was uh, a bunch of movies about like people overdosing. So one of my favorite movies was like Less Than Zero. And when I watched Less Than Zero, I was like, I want to be Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> So let me get a real problem. But I could never get access to drugs. But I mean, I'm just saying like our our view of of drugs at that point was probably very different. Listen, my one of my closest sorority sisters who will go unnamed, but who everyone will know who I'm talking about. She grew up in a Southern state. And when she came to college, she had already been doing coke in high school. And I was like, wait, what? Just like totally astounded by this. Yeah, yeah, a lot of drugs in my small town. A lot really? of drugs. like coke. There was coke heroin was coming to our small town in high school. In high school, in the in the late nineties. Tell yes. us about it, Kelsey. Well, I I feel like uh, you know a couple of things here. Like I of course grew up with the dare situation. You know yes. all of that was going on, That's but I. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things, um, let's talk about drugs and let's talk about, I want to also talk about something you say, your goals, like you're aspiring to be these people. Cause I yeah. feel like Elizabeth and I are maybe same, but like drugs, not so bad. Also not really aspiring to be these people. <laughs> hey, it, I will tell you the one thing I have learned doing this podcast is that like, it is sad for me that I did not have a normal person reaction to these books because now that I have Elizabeth and Kelsey, I have like other people who read these and like threw them down. But, but I clearly had like 
well, first of all, also not to make this all about me, but my parents ignored me my entire childhood. Like they just, my mom was drunk and passed out. My dad was codependent and doing his hobbies. So no one ever talked to me. So mm-hmm. I was like straight up like TJIF, Sweet Behind, The Cosby Show. I was just like taking in constant amounts of media. And like when I got married, what I wanted was like a Cosby family. Yeah, but I just yeah. think, it, it, I don't even think, so like my life was similar, right? Like I was totally ignored by my mom and I spent a lot of time by myself. MTV was coming up. Like I loved oh. all the TV shows, oh, yeah. but there is something inherent in me that when I read these books, I didn't want to be the good girls, but yeah. I got obsessed with them. See, I think it's all about fantasy. We're just talking about different forms of fantasy. We all, we want to escape part of our life in some way. So that's why I don't want to ever like totally shit on these books. I'm having a reaction but that doesn't mean that I'm still not swept up in some other kind of fantasy. It just is not this kind, you know? So I feel like my, my experience with drugs and, and, and the aspiration or like why I was kind of like, uh, like I, it was I, blue collar was just alcohol, alcohol and uppers. So cocaine was too expensive. So you got the bad cocaine or you found some kind of speed. So I could get drugs easily from my dad. Like he wouldn't know about it. But like, if I had to stay up and do homework, you just get it from, you find the, you get it from your relatives. You know, it wasn't like this sort of swoosh, classy thing. It was like, you got to stay up late to do your extra job. Here's a pill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't um, like you had to work three jobs and stay up. It wasn't this sort of like you had a portion. It was like, you know, it, it wasn't Miami and it wasn't New York. It was blue collar drugs. It didn't have the same excitement. <laughs> well, I have, I mean, like when we, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the books and we'll get back to the drugs because we yeah. have a lot to talk about with drugs and substance abuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk, you know, so the beginning of the book, for example, I guess I'm curious, like when you're reading, th- when you're reading through it, you were like, what the hell, this is really bad. Um, what things were sparking for you? Like, it reminds you- me. Yeah. Good question. It reminds me a little bit. So I did a bachelor podcast a long time ago and I can only do it for two years because I'm having the same reaction. <laughs> I feel it's, it's, I'm having the same reaction. It's well, like, it's you like- are spreading, um, vile, like, you know, like lizard brain nonsense that people are actually consuming without thinking about it. And then it becomes part of their norm. They're aspiring to be, they think they'd be, especially young girls. This isn't, you're more than vanity. You're more than this garbage. There's other options. And that made my skin crawl of like, everyone was looking in the mirror and thinking about their legs and their claws. And I was just like, I don't like these people in real life. I'm not going to waste my time with these children you know like i I don't want to but see then i don't want to smash on it because listen i have my fantasy somewhere else so if your fantasy is talking about this version of a princess you know i'm watching game of thrones and robots so like who am i (laughs) like i think like what i took from it and i'm just kind of realizing this talking to you guys now which is why i literally love having smart like feminist women in my life. I think what I took from it as a kid was that like, if you were popular and if you were pretty, you were, you could be safe, you know, that like you could be seen and you could, you could, you would be safe from like whatever, you know, you could, you could feel okay. And I think I, because I was never seen by like my family, I never felt okay. Maybe where Kelsey and I might have, like, I, I think I have the same feelings, right? Like, that I wasn't seen, that no one gave a shit about me, that I didn't care, like, no one cared about me. And 
maybe for me, it was more that like, if you're not gonna be seen, then you could be something like super, like, like I, I think especially in the 90s when people like women were the roles of women were more like you could like records and music and wear combat boots with dresses was like more the place that I just kind of fell into because if you're going to be like not part of the cool crowd then be like the worst part you know mm-hmm. and I found that really appealing you're describing the plot of the Grinch <laughs> <laughs> Which I very much identify with. There's a lot of parallels between both of you and the cringe. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I watched the new one recently. I was like, he's got a lot of fair points. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like, Adrian, you really bring up a great point about safety and finding that within the realms of traditional class and, and, and femme behavior, right, of this very specific kind. And I think one of the things that I realized growing up in my certain situation and maybe why I'm not grasping these fantasies is because I did have friends. You know, I was kind of a floater, right? I was real loud. And so I'd have friends in a whole bunch of different pockets. And I had friends that were very popular and very rich. And I knew that they were miserable. Like there was a lot of suicide. Like, and so no one was safe. And I think I saw that pretty early on. Growing up where I grew up, women weren't safe no matter where you were, no matter what you looked like, no matter what size you were. So I, I didn't buy into the fantasy. And maybe that's the, the difference. I, I couldn't buy it. So did you find that your, like, your, reflect, like, your reflexive action was that you would just not do that? Or like, did, what, what was your like, once you realized that, were you like, I'm just not going to buy into these things or I'm going to now create yeah. myself as a certain different type of person? Like, how did you, how did you react to that? I think, you know, unfortunately, if I was a wiser uh, adolescent, I shut down by being active. Still my same pattern now, guys. <laughs> but, you know, like, where, like, Adrian might have, like, pushed into the fantasy because it clicked for you. Here's the thing. It worked. Like you said, when you joined a sorority, it worked for you. You were safe. You felt that way. Maybe, Elizabeth, you kind of went opposite where you're like, okay, I don't want blonde. I want rebel. She's like, I'll start a roller derby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you kind of like corrected in a different way. I think I took a sort of sexless clown uh, workaholic trope where I didn't need anybody. I was above it. And the truth is you're not above it. I was the Grinch. (laughs) I legit, like I would sit in my own tower and I would have power in the way I wanted and I don't care about this stuff. But the truth is, even when I'm reading these books a little bit, like some of the smoochy stuff, if I was a girl who really was into it, that's, oh, how nice is that? Some smooches or whatever. I just cut it off. I cut it off. Well, that's, that's um, talking about smooches. I, d- I did want to talk a little bit about some of the plot points in the book, which like the first one is all about keeping secrets, right? Like there's Elizabeth and then there's Regina and then there's Jessica. And there's this whole idea of like, we're going to keep a secret from this girl. I was like very uncomfortable with it in terms of how to like, how do you decide when to keep a secret? How do you decide when to tell people? Because like, let's, be honest if you tell anyone about anybody's relationship everyone's going to get defensive right yeah so like what what for you kelsey in the in, in that world have you ever experienced anything like that have you ever dealt with anything like that this is such a great question because i feel like i was a, a keeper of secrets like i have all these cheeks and people just dump their secrets in here man oh, like me too i i just people and and i don't 
I keep secrets well because I was trained well. I came from a family. I don't know why we're always turning to this, but hey, it's podcast time. Let's do it. Yeah, I turned from a family of abuse and addiction. It was never told to shut your mouth, but every action that you learn as a kid tells you to shut your mouth. So telling secrets to me is just part of being alive. And the other thing is like my huff side is, you know, their, their stock is you you fucking die with your secrets. You know what I mean? Like I, my grandma, she just passed away during this COVID thing. She, she, there are things where we don't know who my real dad's dad is. She will tell no one. She died with that shit. Well, like, mother. Like anytime we talk about Elizabeth's mom, like there are things that she'd be like, my mother would never tell me this. My, my mom would never tell me that. My mom won't tell me how she really met my dad. My mom won't tell me when she, like, she just will not give me any uh, information. I did not come from um, a, a household that had like any kind of substance abuse, but what I did, I did. have, <laughs> what I did have was like an, a mom who just didn't think that her past mattered to me or that like it was important for me to know anything. And I married into a family that was full of secrets. I recently, what, two or six years ago, I had found out that my ex-husband had a secret child, you know, and then I found out that not only did he have a secret child, but that him and his mom had known about it the whole time, which I found out during the funeral of the, the grandma. Oh. So just, yeah. I mean, I think secrets are, are, I think they're damaging, but I think to your point is that I was also in a household where like that's that generation of people, like our parents, um, are not ashamed. They were like not ashamed they thought that to handle a good problem was to never confront it. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think generation generationally that stuff is changing and then but how do you guys feel about this? Because I do think this book is trying to like teach people like, hey, it's probably not the greatest to keep a secret because it does come back in this horrible way. Like, there, hey, there's a lesson for you, Sweet Valley AI. But what do you guys feel just personally about the power of a secret for yourself? Because as I'm getting older, there's part of me that really likes it. <laughs> I love gossip. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, even your own secret. Like, even, like, this is for me and for me alone. I'm not a big secret person. Like, I'm very she is open. not. Everyone knows everything about Adrian. Like, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, it's it's not my, my thing. Like, if you ask me a question, I would tell you anyone, anyone here, or, or, or the truth about my experience of it. But I think that, like, some of my issues are much more, and I feel like Kelsey, now that we're talking about this, I'm like, Kelsey might be an Enneagram three, just like me. We're probably inter intertwined in this way that like my stuff is more shame based. That's where my secrets lie that are like very, like these small little nuggets of something I feel ashamed about that like I would never tell you versus like some action or like, you know, I kiss this what do, What do you mean by shamed? Like, Give us an example of one of your secrets that I, involves shame. I would have to think about it. I mean, I think that, you know, I have like, you know, I grew up with an alcoholic parent and I'm doing some therapy right now about like figuring out how this feeling of like never being seen by my parents has now come up in like this way of like where I secretly feel like I'm unlovable or I secretly feel like I'm, I'm flawed or fucked up, which is not something that I think people would say about me from an outside stance, but that I have this little coal of shame that I like keep and, and polish, you know, where it's like, I know like, Oh, I could never, 
meet someone who would truly love me. You know, this like, that's like my secret versus like, if you were like, Adrian, what did you do yesterday? I'd be like, oh, I fucked JW. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> JW is Facebook. Cacao. <laughs> didn't. I didn't. But I'm just saying like the, my day-to-day life, I would not have any problems telling you about. My stuff is much more like, my secrets are like deep, deep shame-based stuff that like I create an image to protect. Right. Cultivated truth as protection. That's yeah. how I always see it. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to make a whole career out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have. <laughs> well, you know, I feel it's like, yeah, the real stuff that really matters. And I feel like we're also allowed to keep some stuff to ourselves if we want. I feel like I learned that from, there was some power in secret as, a, as, some, as something you could own as a female in my house. Some of it was damaging and some of it seemed powerful. And that's very, it's a very nuanced trait that I think they tried to get in this book, but I don't know if they nailed it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> So when you're thinking about secrets, though, like, what, Kelsey, why don't you tell us, like, what you, when you're saying that you really like it as you're getting older, what are those, what kind of things are you talking about? Tell us a secret, Kelsey. Well, I mean, I'm I like, think, get to the dirt. I think what it is, it's more like reflection and power of, of self. So I don't know if it's necessarily a secret, but it's something where you're not giving out. It is for you and you alone. And that feels like a... a, a an, a healthy secret, a, a power source almost, if I may call it, as opposed to like damaging, shameful. I think there are, there are degrees of that, you know, and I'm finding as I get older, I don't need to spread that everywhere. I can hold on to it with confidence and it's mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that, you know? So I don't know if that's a secret. I actually don't know the, the language I'm using. This makes a lot of sense to me, just knowing you. And also now I'm like, you're definitely an Enneagram 3. I'm going to pull you into this. <laughs> oh my God, don't let her do it. No, Is I mean, this like crystals or something? No, no, no. I'm going to send you some links. It's like a whole well, thing. <laughs> but Kelsey is like super charming, very adaptable. Yeah, yeah, you like yeah. Her I love her. But she could also be a 7. No, but I'm, I'm just a saying, seven. the point is, is that this is all making a lot of sense to me the way that you're talking about this, because it's like, I have never met a person that did not like Kelsey immediately because Kelsey, everyone loves Kelsey, but Kelsey knows how to do that. And so what she's talking about is like holding like whatever is under that for herself. And well, I, what, I, yeah, what Ellen told me once, Ellen is somebody who did the, like the femme complicates and, and, and she said something that I never realized is there people in the performance world, the artistic world, and all this world who who have this kind of energy that maybe I present, and you all, all of you on this Zoom call oh, present, sure. but but a lot of people need it back. They're like vampiric about it. And I think the thing of power that I'm trying to harness and recognize or the secret, I hope it doesn't make me a vampire. I was surrounded by vampires as a kid that's another thing I learned yeah. instead of neglect I had people who needed it all the time Girl. every second yes yeah. <laughs> so I shut down and protect uh I drank into drugs <laughs> let's talk about it. well I to say like this is one thing um you know when Adrian and I met we met because of the Cates and um I think the thing that bonded me and Adrian like immediately and we've talked about this on several po- uh, several of our recordings is that we were both in places where we were being completely used as like a life source over and over again. Our like beyond, you know, like most people say that about their kids and that's of course true, but that's like our ex-husbands, our parents, 
our friends. Like it just was very exhausting at some point. I also, when I was doing stand up, I also know what you're talking about. Like if I put out this energy of like joy and fun and like love, which I think was very honest and genuine, what I would get back a lot of times is people wanting to kind of like glom onto it because they were like so unhappy or they didn't have direction or that they just thought that it was, it looked like a good time and they didn't realize that I was actually a human. Well, your energy is very like Elizabeth brings the fun. Everybody knows that. And Elizabeth is also like, you bring a lot of like authenticity to your interactions with people and you make people feel comfortable right away. And to me, what I, and you tell me if this is wrong, but I've also noticed that like, sometimes it doesn't matter if the person is like, maybe you're a little nuts. Like if there is a person who is a little nuts and they're coming at me, I'm like, bye. You're kind of like, Hey, you know, like you're still spreading love and joy. And so like those people are like jumping on they, in. They love it. They yeah. love it. Yeah. But, you know, so far it's like kind of this idea of holding things for ourselves, especially as grown women. I'm I'm sorry to take this, Kelsey. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Because, like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about, like, that kind of power that you can hold and the way that you can kind of, like, pull back and be like, this is for me and I don't have to share it with other people. Yeah, and I think you're allowed. The other thing is survival. You need it to maintain throughout life right. because you will burn out as you guys both realized when you found each other you gravitated to each other maybe because you were in this exhausted state you got to live another 40 plus years i hope <laughs> like so you gotta it's a marathon this life you know um and yeah yeah i don't know i feel like sometimes it feels you know adrian you mentioned a great word like authentic uh, elizabeth has these authentic things and i think sometimes we feel that holding back is a betrayal or not you're not giving it this and that or whatever like it's almost you're ashamed that you have to have stuff for yourself and i think that's just crap so how do you decide then how to distribute this information. So, I mean, I know I was, I was bringing it up in context of this book, but like these kind of places that we have there for ourselves or that, you know, um, we're trying to protect other people. How do you know when to protect somebody or when to bring them into that energy or secret or term that at this point? Gosh, that's such a great question. I think, I mean, I'm somebody who needs to learn experientially, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so you, you, you fail. And you get hurt and you're strong enough and you heal and you then probably don't trust it as much for a long time. And then you try again. I mean, I don't know how else to do it. I'm like, I'm literally about to cry. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, and you know, I'm I, like, oh, she sees me. <laughs> I know. And you know, I feel like very, um, like, bonded to Kelsey in terms of like having an alcoholic parent and growing up that way. It's a very like distinct experience. And then, you know, will you tell us a little bit about like how that affected you and then how it affected like your drinking later? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think, I think, um, you know, I did a, my first show is actually, it's just kind of in me. So I, I have my identity and addiction compulsion and performance and writing are sort of all swirled together, which again, don't know if that's the healthiest thing working on it, but you know, it's all, yeah. JW is like same thing. Like it's, it's all connected and it was very cathartic at first. So I came from a home in which you were, uh, you got love by being productive. You had to prove it. Um, you had to show that you were worth it, whether that was grades, whether that was sports, whether that was activity. Um, my mom was very manic, always moving furniture, um, 
always just being and doing. Uh, my dad was the sort of succubus. So my dad died of uh, cardiomyopathy when I was 15. So he drank himself and did drugs and then his heart exploded. And I sort of just focused on getting out of the town. I was not a super huge drinker or drug taker in high school. I dabbled because it was a small town and you had to do something. Um, but it wasn't my focus. My focus was to get out. Uh, and then I got out into a big city uh, from a small town, one of the first people to graduate. And I fell into patterns, right? So dr drinking was my drug of choice for sure. When the drinking kept going, I'm like, the party's never going to end. So then the drugs came and, you know, that whole thing. Uh, I, I just had some people tell me I wasn't as charming as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a real moment where, um, and I talk about it on stage, but again, I think it's cultivated truth. The truth of the matter is I didn't want to die and I was going towards a road and I had people that loved me and I decided I didn't want to be a coward. Like I feel my dad was, and I still got anger about it. You know, I wanted to live. That's all. And it was hard and it's still hard <laughs> uh, because feeling feelings and that is, is difficult to, to, to do. So that's kind of my, I, and writing really helped. So when I was, uh, 25 I did my first show and it was all about uh, choosing to have an autopsy done on my dad even though he didn't want one in his will because I could <laughs> and chop him up was my answer and you're like holy shit uh, you got a lot of anger so I drank about it and then I wrote about it and uh, you know I don't know if I'm answering your questions but that <laughs> It's really fucking heavy stuff, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it's heavy and it's fucking hard. Well, okay. and I also think, I love I love when you're talking about how you wanted to run away from your small town because I felt very much the same way, right? I didn't have a dad. I have a lot of, I still to this very day, I'm 46 years old. I haven't seen my dad. I mean, like, I haven't had a relationship with my dad since I was eight. And I still think about it, right? Yeah. But when I think about leaving my hometown, I really, for a long time, was like, I want to leave this place because this place sucks. There's only a mall. Like, there's nothing. There's no adventure, blah, blah, blah. But the older I get, the more I'm like, it's not because of that. I loved my mom and I loved my brother, but I was also responsible for my mom and responsible for my brother. And so when people talk about even, like, my joy and, like, my, my very genuine, like, uh, curiosity and love for other people, that comes from a place of being, like, 10 years old. I've never been able to be a child until like, because even after I left my house, I got into like a whole bunch of issues with drugs and alcohol and blah, blah, blah. Then I got pregnant and I got crazy relationships. And it's only, and it, it may have said this to you, Kelsey, I'm not sure if I ever said it to you, but when my husband, my current husband bought me take, uh, classes to your class, I was 40 years old. Now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> Listen, do it. That's okay. No, I was gonna say, like, it was the first time I was like, I can have a dream. Yeah. Like the first time I was like, wait a minute. This is like something different. This is something that like you were like, I have a voice. Yes. <laughs> I have a voice. And it was so fucking crazy to me. Cause I was like, how is it that I'm 40 years old and this is the first time it's occurring to me that I could actually think about something that's about me, not someone else. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're talking about sort of the same thing. Like having the thing that drives you power. And, and you have told me that before and you're not alone. Just so, I don't know if that helps or not, or just is. 
Like, I'm going to swig my wine. (laughs) That to be like Kelsey is so fucking great, but Kelsey is really fucking great. Like she She creates a space for women to express something in a safe space. Like when I took the Kate's, I had come from my MFA where I had been abused literally for four years. And literally, I mean, fucks are up now. Yes, like where I would write something and they would just shame you for like an hour in front of 12 other people. I mean, like, you know, I'm working on it in therapy. It's fucked up. And I moved back to Chicago and I was like, okay, I'll do something totally opposite. And I signed up to do the Kate's or well, it was FemCon then. Yeah, yeah. Kelsey. And, you know, you do create this space for women to just say something in a safe way and have fun and express. And it's really fucking important. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally important. But now like that we're talking about this and, and the feedback that both of us are giving you, I wonder for you how much that kind of exhausts you, yeah. right? It's like when is there Kelsey time? If you're yeah. like working and doing all these things and kind of like, when is it Kelsey time? Well, I, I mean, that that's a great question. I feel like, Oh, honored responsible but also like a calling which i know sounds really cheeseball but it, it it's true like i'm trying to find the voice i didn't have and every woman in my family never had they yeah. like they, they like got it smacked out of them and you can see these women strong funny powerful women getting beaten down and that's not going to happen now that will not happen on my watch. Now, is that something that I can fix for everybody? Absolutely not. Am I going to fail and make mistakes? 100%. It's a teaching moment. I didn't realize how much I wanted to teach and I'm not really teaching. All I'm doing is breathing space. And if people want to come in, they come in. You guys are giving me a lot of credit for something you kind of did on your own. actually true i mean i agree but also disagree because like i said i went to a space where i was supposed to be taught you know i went to this mfa program where they were like look 0.0.0 percent of people get into this program three thousand people apply and six people get in and you're one and they're like now don't you feel so fucking great that you're one and now we're gonna just shame you and fuck you up for years so look they created the space and i showed up Like, and it was not good. So I think that, you know, all I know is that there are hundreds of women, there are hundreds of women in Chicago who have been affected by working with you and the space that you create. And it's not nothing. It's something that's pretty fucking important. Yeah. And I'm not trying to take away um, that because I hear what you're saying and I appreciate it. I think I think this sort of, and this is not what you're doing, so please don't take this the wrong way. I think one of the things we get into, which is partly with these books, is like, it's actually the community that helps us. There is no hero. There is no one person. It isn't me. I am so honored to be a part of it and to maybe cultivate it. But we've seen this over and over. This hero shit has to die. Uh, You know, and that's very patriarchal and it's all this stuff. Like, uh, and it happens in comedy a lot. It, it, that's one of my major problems with comedy, this hierarchy. It's all of us. Now, I am glad to sort of push and 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 do that. But the reason I do that, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, if you, if you know, like, we don't spend a lot of time personally together. Yeah. I don't, I have a very small circle because I need to reboot a lot. So again, back to the Grinch, I'm happy to go out 
and connect with you in real life. And I think our connection is real. I don't have a lot of deep seated daily connections with very many people at all. Yeah. And I'm okay. Those and Adrian to come back to this circle. I don't know if it's healthy or not. That is how I survived my childhood. I was very much um, expanding energy and then hiding yeah. to reboot and to protect. And I don't know if that's healthy or not. I don't know. I don't know because I consider you guys friends, acquaintances, colleagues, all of these things, but you're not probably going to call me if you need to get out of jail. Right? Like we don't have I mean, that I might. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm be like, all right, you're third on the list, but I know you won't judge me. <laughs> That's very true. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you guys have, and you can even see this with the Kates. And even when we tried the Kates cast, I distanced myself, which some people um, probably felt was cold or didn't work or whatever. Like there is a coldness to me that people, um, you know, that's my boundary. There's only so much I could get. So I don't have children. Hey, I, 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 I mean, know thyself, know thyself. Like there is only so much I can give. And I know that. And I don't want to be the parent who neglects. And I have that in me. Yeah. Well, yeah. And now that we're talking about this, it's making me think about Elizabeth, you also created a space for women. And we totally. have not talked a lot about it on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, but I think I feel the same way as Kelsey. Like I was kind of the, 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 like I planted the seed and I helped it grow, but it became its own garden after I was done. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was a community that came in. So I, feel, I very much feel bonded in that way with you, Kelsey, and that, you know, a lot of people give me credit for starting it. And, which is the Chicago roller derby, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, and, which is uh, huge, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's still going 16 years in, you know, which is shocking to me. But I think that's the whole point is like, I haven't been in it for at least probably eight to nine years and it's still going. So it wasn't me that really was what kept it together. It is the community. What I, what I do think about that though, is sometimes it's also hard for me to take credit that out of everyone in Chicago, I did come up with the idea. I did come up with pitching it. I did <laughs> like taking credit for the thing I did take action in mm-hmm. to your point, Kelsey, to like push people to like let people blossom where they could blossom. Because, I mean, I think what I'm learning now is at someone who's at 46 years old is that encouragement in a safe space really can change the path that most women are on. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, and I don't want to put words in your mouth by any stretch of the imagination, is you're a good leader. That's what a leader does. They build something. They they give the space, they cultivate a community and they have the power and ego. We all have it. I do as well, but you're able to let it go. Right. That's a leader. That that's the word I think we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I, I think it's fascinating and wonderful that both of you like took painful shit and like, we're like, you know what I'll do? I'll channel it into making safe spaces for other women. And like, that's some badass stuff. I mean, it takes real confidence to be like, I'm going to start a roller derby or to be like, I'm going to change the face of fucking comedy in for Chicago, women in Chicago. Right? <laughs> like those are big fucking things. And I know that like also being a woman and being socialized the way that we are is diminishing ourselves and diminishing our accomplishments. So like, I get that, but you know, it's, you guys are strong bitches who like took something painful and made shit for other people. 
I'm gonna high. I'm high fiving you. Well, high fiving all. High five us all. Yeah. You know. I also, before we we start wrapping towards the end, I just wanted to also talk about your Kelsey, your um thing with like, there's only so many people that you can let in your personal, um, on your personal planet. Let's call it. You know, because I always like to tell people that I love when people are in my orbit. Mm-hmm. And I like to say orbit because they're they're people that you're super close with, but you don't spend a lot of time with. You know. Mm-hmm you're like I know this person I can always count on them but they're not someone you're going to spend with like daily time with or like there's some people that you meet once and you're like they changed my life so yep. I just say orbit but I I do I also the same way I think Adrian's the same way and that we you're real friends like the people that you're interacting with every single day and I don't real friends is not really a, a fair way of saying that but like the people that you interact with every single day has to be small and I feel like part of my reason for that and it's I'm curious how you feel about this, Kelsey, is um, it's also part of my trauma response, right? I can't just trust any motherfucker on the street. (laughs) Like, I can be friendly, I can be fun, I can be genuine in my interactions with you, but you can't come into my life just all willy-nilly because I have a history of making bad decisions, I have a history of bad things happening to me, I have a history of trauma that I carry with me all the time. and so. People, ha- I don't. I, people have to somewhat prove themselves in order to stay in that space for me. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I mean, preach same. Hear, hear it. I, I don't think that is. I mean, not that we're like, you know, diminishing this to like or or shrinking this to like right or wrong. I think that just is. Like that's your experience in life. You're protecting yourself. You don't have to be friends with everybody. You, you know, uh, it's very difficult. I also think as women, because we are trained to be people pleasing and however that manifests in whatever way. Um, and I feel like as I'm getting older, um, I am more confident of like keeping people at a, at a distance and it's not personal. I still enjoy them, but I just have limited, limited time and space. Has it, and as does everyone. <laughs> like, has this become clearer to you during COVID? Yes, 100%. Oh, for sure. I, I also had a lot of realizations of COVID because I am somebody who's staying in. Um, I am an extrovert, meaning I like do feed off of people's like energy when I'm around. That is a learned behavior. I was a kid who read books and climbed trees and in recess was told I had to be social. I was taught the dance to keep the dance moving to hide what was going on in my family. Yeah. And then I made a career out of it. <laughs> And now I'm like, now that the career is gone, again, I'm talking about all this identity stuff. I mean, I have had some times, not as hard as other people are having, but like this idea of who are you? I'm a workaholic. That's the less alcoholic and sugar I have. I, yeah, it's uh, the boundaries and the realizations during COVID are tricky, my friend. However, this, I wanted to ask you guys about this. This is where my compulsive disorders come in handy. <laughs> One of the things about building things, I wanted to ask you about this as well, or like building this podcast or like taking, you know, going to MFA program. Don't you guys feel like there has to be some hardcore focus? And I don't want to call it mental illness because I am not diagnosed. So I'm not trying to, you know, make that broad stroke, but there's some compulsion that happens. I feel like starting the Kate, starting Femcom, building something, there was a, an obsession. Did you guys feel that? Um, again, I don't want to, Elizabeth's going to be annoyed, but I'm going to send you some Enneagram three articles <laughs> because it literally, the, 
the entire thing about being a three is this drive to work and this drive. Everybody's face. I'm sorry. But I wish all like, oh. I'm going to make an audio recording of whatever email Kelsey sends me after I send her this because it's real. So this drive to produce, the drive to have success, the drive to like continue to like produce it, it, it like it fills up what is fucked up, right? Because mm -hmm. you know you're valuable if you have a podcast that was just in Chicago Magazine, shout out. Um, <laughs> but you know, then it gives you value and I'm just learning more and more about like how my goals are not my actual self. I don't really fully understand how they're not the same, mm -hmm. but spiritually I get that this is what I'm supposed to be learning because I have them so conflated that if I can continue just to grit my teeth and power the fuck through and yeah. produce and produce and produce and have people think that I'm successful, that I'll be okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's where the compulsion is that I'm hearing that is similar between us. Well, I, uh, I, I had a hard time. I have always had a hard time watching Mad Men. And I thought it was because the sexism, which is very much there. And I thought it was because those men, I work in finance and, and I, that's very much there. It turns out, I'm fully confessing now. Please do. <laughs> um, uh, it turns out it's because I, if given to the dark side, which I am ought to do, am 100% Don Draper. I have compulsion. I have narcissistic tendencies. I have an ego. I've been fighting it all my life. I don't watch Mad Men because it is me. <laughs> that's, not, that's not something I'm proud of. That's something I figured out this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I would like to go, you know, so I'm a, uh, I'm an Enneagram 7, which is, you know, the whole thing with, the, for, with us, it's like uh, sevens are like very enthusiastic. We always want to try different things. We want to be part of different of things. Like, like a lot of input, a lot of action. We're a lot of action-based. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're a seven too. But I would say the thing that I am finding as I get older, and I'm kind of still very new to this whole thing, is the idea that there is no clear creative path. And when you are a creative person, no one ever tells you that you can be creative based on whatever it is you like at the moment, right? Like no one's ever like, you can have a career as a painter. You can have a career as a writer. Everyone tells you that you have to have something else in addition to the sink. Now, the other thing is like, if you decide to be a doctor, there's only so many paths you can go. You can like deal, be like a foot doctor or a heart doctor or whatever. I don't even know the names a of any of these <laughs> But when you're an artist, what it turns out is that you can be, because it's the imagination. It is like the ability to open your heart and see things in all sorts of different ways and all different puzzles and all different formats. That when you open your heart like that, now all, all of a sudden the whole world is open to you. Elizabeth, what I'm hearing is that I could write the next Sweet Valley. Yes, girl! <laughs> Why do you think we started this podcast that so we all could be ghostwriters? Yes! Okay. A new updated version of it. Before we move to the end, I have two things. Yes. The first thing is, I really want to say and thank Kelsey because I feel like even just this moment, Kelsey continues to teach us. Like, yes. I feel like this podcast, just this she episode. She may throw away the whole script we had today. Yeah. I mean, just this episode. <laughs> has, but this it's all a ruse because I didn't do the reading. <laughs> No, this, but it's so good. This episode has done exactly what we've wanted this podcast to do, which is springboard to talk about these like really important issues to us. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for like helping us get there once again. 
fucking Kelsey. Hey man, <laughs> I'm with you. I've been on enough. Uh, I've had enough alcoholic podcasts to know the drill. <laughs> and then the second thing before we moved to the you game. didn't even know it was an alcoholic podcast. Yeah. Oh, I made it one because you didn't finish. You didn't finish it. The second thing is I just want to tell this one story about how I was Elizabeth Wakefield in college and I went to this party with all my sorority sisters and it was in this like townhouse apartment and everybody was drinking and whatever. And I was like a complete Elizabeth. I went into the kitchen and I was like, look at this mess. Why are there all these paper towels out on this counter? I need to clean this up. And so I started like trying to clean it up and all these people came running like slow motion, like because there was just all this coke under the paper <laughs> and so that is elizabeth wakefield in college right yes totally yeah. i will also say that um i was kind of an elizabeth wakefield recently on my family like so i rented a house in michigan i know it's so bad but um i wanted to see my kids for for the what a dick what a dick dare <laughs> you so I, I rented a house in Wisconsin and the kids and I would spend like the days just like taking walks. And one day, uh, my youngest one was like, mom, have you ever did cocaine? And I was like, this is a secret for myself. <laughs> is that true? You wouldn't tell her? I did. I was just, I was like, I just kept quiet. That's how my mom did it. If you ask my mom a question, she well, just kept it. Well, we know Z is not yeah. listening podcast so it's fine it's I mean, there's no way she gives a shit and I, was like, I was like have you seen your mom she has a mullet <laughs> kelsey where can people find you how can they take your classes yeah so right now you can just go to my website which is just kelsey huff k-e-l-s-i-e-h-u-f-f.com i also it's you know covid pending uh the classes that we're doing i actually I sort of handed things off to Alex Kuman, so she is teaching Femcom. Emmy Sumter is teaching the Cates. What I'm doing um, in the interim uh, is I, I'm heading up the training center for the Lincoln Lodge now. So I'm trying to get other teachers and people involved. It is very much on hold because of COVID. So all the updates will be at KelseyHuff.com once people can um, participate in live comedy again. And I want to thank you guys just because I'm sort of not, I had to dip back into like, um, you know, a job, like a different job. So I appreciate you inviting me to, to this podcast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something again. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think we've already uh, sang, sung your praises, so I'm gonna not do that. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, uh, go, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I was like, go fuck yourself, Kelsey. <laughs> you think you're so, so important. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm comfy in that space. Hey, do you know who we really need to thank? Francine Pascal. Yep, and Pascal. all the uncredited ghostwriters who churn this shit out so we could read it all night long. Come back next week when we need sad pants lyricist Lynn Henry and wonder why no one will give her a Zoloft. Oh my God, this girl is our high school depression personified. And you know what we want you to follow Wokefield on Instagram at Wokefield Pod. And rate and review us so that we can be like popular because we're like Bruce Batman and we live for the applause. And I've really let everyone know today about how I have a real gaping need to be popular. <laughs> so please, please like us. We do need friends. <laughs> Sweet Valley out. <laughs> Wolfields. How much coke have you done, JW? A lot. A lot. <laughs> I think he surprises by saying none, and you did not. <laughs> Please put that in the episode. <laughs>
Tell the truth and shame the devil.